Parsha Shmini. It's one of my favorite parshios because about 20 years ago, actually exactly 20 years ago, it was uh, right before Pesach when uh, my wife and I got engaged. And uh, I, I remember clearly trying to, uh, of course, impress everybody in my first opportunity of being, uh, uh, you know, in, entering the Jacobois family. And I remember, I remember talking about this Parsha a lot. So uh, uh, it's been 20 years. Anyway, can't imagine that someone this young could be married 20 years. But anyway, okay. Parsha Shmini. So I'm going to say over that. I remember the idea I said then, and it's from um, my teacher, Rabbi Gibber. And it's uh, it's it's actually is a good lesson, and it's a very cute idea as well. So it says in the Talmud that a person should have an eighth of an eighth of of um, gava, being haughty. A person should 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 be a little bit have a little bit of balgaiva in themselves, a little bit of arrogance so to speak you know it's in general don't be an arrogant person don't uh, be very humble but a little bit you should be and the talmud uses the word an eighth of an eighth so i remember Abba gibber asked two questions over here and these are i think other people have asked this as well and the first question is it's a funny thing to say an eighth of an eighth, because what's an eighth of an eighth? An eighth of an eighth is one sixty-fourth, right? So why is the Talmud talking in cryptic terms? That's the first question. It's an interesting question. And the other question is, what is one sixty-fourth? It's a very fun, a very unusual term to say that a person should be, um, I know, have a one sixty-fourth percentage of, uh, of, of, of arrogance, so what does that mean? So Rabbi Gibber said uh, a fascinating idea. It's actually brilliant. <laughs> he says, what's Hebrew for eighth of an eighth? Shemini. The word Shemini means eight. So said Rabbi Gibber, what the Talmud is saying is, look in this week's Parsha, Parsha's Shemini. The and then look in the eighth verse, the eighth of the eighth, the eighth verse in this week's Parsha, and you get what it means to be a little bit arrogant. What does it say in the eighth verse in this week's Torah portion? It says that the way not, when they inaugurated the, the tabernacle, it says, Vayikrav Aaron el Mizbeach. Aaron came close to the Mizbeach. And what does Rashi say over here? Rashi says in the previous verse that Aaron did not want to do it. Aaron was chosen to be the head Kohen and to inaugurate the temple. And Rashi says that Aaron was embarrassed because he had been involved in the, in the um, golden calf. And Moshe said to him, you should not be embarrassed. God chose you. And if God chose you, you're the right one. And said Rabbi Gibber, this is the kind of arrogance a person should have. Everyone in their life has sometimes when they are the person who needs to ride to the occasion. It could be for your family. 
it could be for your friends, it could be for yourself, and misplaced humility over our Jewish history has been a very big problem. Uh, if a person is the right person in the right place, you the wrong thing to do is to say, ah, you don't need me. And I can tell you, you know, relationships, this can be a huge thing. Someone says, ah, you know what? That person, they don't need me. But sometimes you could be the person who says the right word, who's just the person just to be there to listen for someone just, just uh, you know, uh, you know, it says this is not a novel idea, this idea, but that's what it means to have a little bit of arrogance. Don't be so much of a humble person that you don't believe in yourself enough to rise to the occasion when it's appropriate. So that's something uh, which I remember from a long time ago. So what happens, unfortunately, the story the uh, exciting day of the of the, the um, establishment of the tabernacle was a uh, was very um, unfortunately it sounded like we had this past uh, year this this week ago, you know right after Purim, and Israel was Purim. We hear the big news about Rabbi Kanievsky passed away. What's supposed to, Purim supposed to be the happiest day of the year, and in Israel certainly it was a very sad day. And a similar thing, to, so to speak, happened then. The, uh, the, the Jews all gathered around. They're going to finally inaugurate the temple. And what happens? Two of the greatest leaders of the generation, our own sons, Nadav and Havihu, passed away during the ceremony. You can imagine such a thing. And it's a complicated story what exactly happened, but, but, but it, 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 they had done something which was considered inappropriate on their level, and Fire came down from heaven, zapped him, and it was a lesson for history. Now, the Zohar, the famous uh, Kabbalistic work, says that whoever cries over this story, that God will forgive them for all their sins, and they have basically guaranteed success for their family. Another one, there's, you know, it's interesting. What's with this story? It's a story is obviously what to learn from it. So the um, Panavichirov, famous builder of Torah in uh, Israel, specifically B'nai Barak, he said that um, these two sons of Aaron, they were destined to be the next leaders. They were Moshe and Aaron's you know, they were the runners-up. They were coming up. And they, um, it really changed the trajectory of history because here you had Moshe and Aaron, the two pretty much greatest leaders of all time, and you had the, the torch was going to be handed down to them. And history changed because of it. It really, um, you know, and what the Panavichirov said, now the Panavichirov was one of the people who built up the Jewish, obviously he was based in Israel, in Bnei Brak, but he really was one of the main energies and inspirations for the rebuilding of, Judy, of, 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 uh, of Judaism after the war. And he said that the biggest tragedy 
of any tragedy is if we don't learn from the past. Judaism spends a lot of time remembering past events. And we believe it's not about anniversaries. It's not even necessarily about remembering something. It's about taking the past with us and learning from it. And what the, the, the Zohar is saying and the Panamitrov is speaking it out, that if we learn, come in, if we learn from history, Um, sorry, if we learn from history, then um, we're pretty much guaranteed to be in good shape because God gives us all the tools that we need to, um, to do what we have to do. If we're given a test, there's somewhere we can pick up. Maybe it's from someone who's older than us in our lives. You know, you go to a wise person like Mr. Shapiro. He's been around the block a few times. He's probably seen a few things, right? God gives us, God gives us um, people in our lives. He gives us history to look at, and that's what the we're supposed to learn. And when the Torah records these stories, they're there not just as stories. They're there to learn from and to understand. And I can tell you, this is something which I actually was just. Um, I'm certainly no. Uh, I'm no trained counselor. I was just discussing with someone, um, they were trying to troubleshoot something in one of their relationships. And we were talking about how most people can tolerate a lot of, a lot of, you know, challenging pieces of relationships. And but one of the things that many people have a hard time with is they could, they want someone they can tolerate a mistake. People can tolerate slights and insults and maybe even someone getting angry at you. But one thing that people like to see and is hopeful for people is when people are able to learn from a mistake. Learn from a mistake. And then that, that is the, uh, because everyone understands no one's gonna be perfect. Everyone's gonna make mistakes. Well, people do expect to some degree is that when people do make those mistakes, that they're willing to learn from them. And that's true of on the global level, and it's very true on our own personal level. We have to be able to learn from our mistakes, and we all know that. It's got to take the time to, in fact, do it. So coming along over here, it says in chapter 10, verse 3, so in the aftermath, you had these uh, these great men, they passed away. So Moshe says to Aaron, you know, your sons must have been very, very special because, you know, they they were they 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 passed away in the way that 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 they did. And um, Rashi actually says, Moshe says to his brother, Aaron, my brother. I knew that someone was going to pass away. And I knew it was going to be someone who was very beloved by God. And I, he said, I actually thought it was going to be me or you, my dear brother Aaron. And now I see that Aaron, that your son, he was comforting his brother. I see that your sons were the ones who are passed away. And I knew that whoever was going to pass away was going to be someone who 
would be a very special person. So, doesn't sound very humble. <laughs> Moshe, at the end of the Torah, is called that Moshe is Adam, the humblest of men. But yet here you see that Moshe had a, some inside scoop, and he thought that he was going to be the greatest one, and he, he tells his brother, you know, I thought you and I were going to be the top guns, you know. So how is that in sync with our general understanding of the persona of Moshe Rabbeinu? So I heard once the famous story, um, probably like 50, 60 years ago, the greatest sage in uh, England was a famous rabbi named Rabbi Abramsky, Rabbi Cheskel Abramsky. And there was a big issue there, I believe it was with uh, England was perhaps going to outlaw shechting, slaughtering. And they had a whole court case there and what happened was, is they called Rabbi Abramsky up to the uh, up to the uh, the witness podium, and they had they pulled out a um, so they wanted to make an oath, and I'm sure he navigated the Jewish law questions with that. And they asked Rabbi Abramsky, "Are you the greatest Jewish authority in Great Britain?" And he said, yes. And the judge, or who he was the lawyer whose son was trying to be rather cynical, said, well, Rabbi, doesn't it say in your Torah that you're supposed to be humble? Don't sound very humble if you're saying so readily that you are, in fact, the greatest authority in, in Great Britain. And he said, kind of jokingly, but very serious, um, Your Honor, I'm under oath. And a person who's humble is not a person who is not fully aware of their abilities and their capabilities. And that's important. A person needs to be know who they are, know what they can do. But so what is true humility? If in fact, it's not about thinking, you could think you're actually a very, very important person. That's actually important. So um, the explanation that, that, they, that he gives is that you are fully aware, but you're aware that it came from God and it's a privilege. It could be taken away. If I have a brilliant mind and I have a lot of knowledge, I have to think and realize that that came from God. And not only that, but it can be taken away. And that's what humility, humility is, is saying, not that I don't know who I am. And this is so important for a person to be a productive, healthy person. This idea, you have this balance of being fully aware of who you are, but attributing it to God and not taking it for granted. It says that when Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, the author of the, the compiler of the Mishnah, when he passed away, the Talmud says that there was no more humility left in the world. There was a great rabbi there. His name was Rabbi Yosef. And he said, what do you mean? I'm here. And it seems kind of interesting because he's saying there's no humility. And this person pipes up and says, oh, I'm here. It doesn't sound very, very humble. And uh, it's the same idea that the person it needs to know that they're important. I know one time Rabbi Shragi Neuberger 
famous rabbi from Baltimore, he came to Providence and he gave a whole day um, workshop on marriage. And his introduction to the workshop was that a person needs to know who they are and value themselves. Because if you don't value yourself, it'd be very difficult to value other people. And I think that's the idea that we're seeing here. Parsha Shmini is probably most famous for the second half of the Parsha, where it talks about the laws of kosher. Kosher, obviously, is from the most fundamental Jewish uh, practices. It's so far-reaching. It affects everything we do. It, it, it's a very high percentage of the commandments in the Torah revolve around keeping kosher. A person gets involved in Judaism. It's usually one of the first things they get involved in. Shabbos, kosher. And... So it talks about the different animals that are kosher, the birds, the animals. And the, uh, the Gemara Chulin talks about one of the birds, because what most birds are kosher. The Torah lists a list of the birds that are not kosher, and all of the birds are kosher. So it says there's a certain bird called the chasida. Now chasida, the, what, what word do you see in the word chasida? It's chesed. Chesed means kindness. Now, what is the chasidah? Those of you who saw Dumbo, the movie started out with a chasidah. What's a chasidah? A stork. A stork. Now, why is the stork called a chasidah? Well, it, you might think it's because the stork is what delivers the babies, right? But the uh, Rashi says to us, Ramban says, that the um, the reason why it's called a now now non kosher birds are actually the the common theme in them is that they're aggressive birds they're not they they're birds of prey and that's the general rule of thumb owls eagles hawks these are all not kosher birds ostriches and the stork now if the what is so if it's if it's an aggressive bird, why is it called a kind bird? So the commentators say that um, and really the Khadushi Arim speaks this out, that they are kind, but they're only kind to their own. It's actually a little bit of like a sarcasm. They really take care of their own to the absolute exclusion of other people. And that's why it's called the kind bird. And that's why it's not a kosher bird, because it's a very aggressive animal towards those who are not its kind. And that is, is, a, is a, the, that, what the Chedushim says is that in order for a person, yes, a person has to have their priorities, certainly family first, spouse and children and parents and siblings and extended family. And yes, there's there is circles. A person has a circles of responsibility. But... A person does need to feel, and as much as they can, that they want to help other people also. And um, that's a, that is the sign, because if a person takes care of only their family, then as wonderful and important as that is, if they never help anybody else, it may be a sign that their kindness to their family is motivated by selfishness. They're taking care of theirs. 
But if you see that what you if you you help anyone in any way you can, obviously you prioritize where appropriate. That shows that when you're kind to your family, it's also because you're being kind. There's a story in Israel, in, in Jerusalem, there was a, a group of well-meaning people who went to this Rabbi Yadler. And they said to the great Rabbi Yadler, and they said, you know, we want to start a friendship club. What's the friendship club? Anyone can be in the club, and the roles for the club are you have you you commit to being helping out, supporting anyone else in the club. Sounds like a great club. It's a commitment to be kind. So Rabbi Yadler went to the, the, the head rabbi at the time in Jerusalem. His name was Rabbi Diskin, Mishulev Diskin. And he asked Rabbi Diskin, he said, What do you think of this club? And Rabbi Diskin said, This is a horrible club. This is a an antithetical club because this club is going to promote a clique. It's going to promote being kind to your own. It's like this uh, one of the, I forgot who it be, it's Kant, who says that the main uh, psycho, uh, psychology of the world is around social contract. That the reason why I'm civil or nice to you is so that way people will be nice to me. That's not chesed. Chesed is emulating God. God gives. We're supposed to emulate God. God doesn't need anything. When God gives, he gives with no expectations in return. And that is what real kindness is. And therefore, Rabbi Diskin was very against this club because he was nervous about it would instill those values. And that's what kindness is. Kindness is, you know, you got to... You know, so now, now sometimes a person is weighed down uh, with the their responsibilities of their own and, and but that but, but but a person always has to keep their head on straight to uh, if you see that a person never ever ever wants to help anybody else then then there's something wrong um with their their kindness even amongst their own uh time for a little bit more i'll have to wrap up so Keeping this, we can't not talk about keeping kosher a little more. Keeping kosher, as we said, is one of the most central parts of Judaism, and for many, 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 many reasons. And I wanted to mention perhaps three reasons. The first one is, is it represents the constant relationship we have with God, and that our relationship with God is not a compartmentalized one. It's not one we leave in the shul. It's not one we leave in the Torah book. It's not one we leave by Yom Kippur or at the Seder or at the Hanukkah candles. It's a constant relationship. The same way that a person is never, you're married to someone, you are 100% committed. You're never not married to them. You can't tell your spouse, one second, you know, can, can, can I have a day break from this relationship? No, you may need a break and your spouse healthily can give you some space, but you're never not in the relationship. And because kosher permeates food, and food is something which you're basically always having, um, it it's something which represents that. Um, there's another famous idea. It's kind of a nursery rhyme, but it's true that we are what we eat. And the general theme that you look at the kosher animals is they're generally um, docile animals. They're not aggressive animals because 
when a person eats an animal, there, there, there are tendencies that a person does get. They are what they eat. And that's why we eat animals that are calm and we don't eat animals that are aggressive. And lastly, and this is probably the most important point, is the reason we keep kosher is because God said so. Now, that's not supposed to be a negative doom and gloom idea. It's that we trust that if God is telling us to do this, that it's just good for us. And you know what? There's going to be parts that we don't understand. There's going to be things that actually don't make sense to us. There's things that sound ridiculous. But it cannot be, as is happening, unfortunately, as has happened, where people think they understand, oh, the reason why they didn't eat pork all those years was because they thought it was unhealthy. Now we know it is healthy, so it's fine. Or so many other things in, that, that go to the wayside, we don't know. And the best thing is, yes, it's important to learn and be inspired. And, but the, the, but the, the bottom line is, is the reason why we keep kosher is because we were trusting that God uh, saying it's, that's what's best for us. And that is really what's true in general in Judaism. Judaism is about a relationship with God and a trust that if God is asking us to do something, that's the best for us and for everyone that we know and love. Just a quick review. Talk started out how saying how there is an eighth of an eighth, a little bit of, of uh, quote-unquote arrogance a person. Now you have to know who you are. Be, know who you are so you, you can... Be the person who you need to be for yourself, for others. We talked about how from the from the Kabbalah, it talks about how what's so important is if a person learns from the past, they will really can they have all the information they need for the future and take advantage of people who know that past and information that we have. We learned what true humility is. We learned from Rabbi Abramsky that true humility is being so aware of all the wonderful attributes that you have but knowing that they come from God and not to take them for granted. We learn not to be like the stork. We learn not to just be kind to our own. We learned the idea that um, when a person is keeping kosher, it's about a relationship all the time with Hashem, which of course are Relationships in this world are patterned after that, and that um, we are what we eat. And, um, you know, one last thing, I'll just close with this. It says here when, you know, it's obviously very difficult for Aaron. He's up there, maybe the greatest day of his life. He's going to be the head Cohen, the first Cohen. His two sons die on the job. And what does Aaron do? Famous verse, it says, Vayidom Aaron. Aaron was just silent. He completely accepted what happened. He's like, I don't know why this happened, but I know if it happened, it was the best thing to happen. And this is really one of the true key, um, not an easy thing, but it's one of the true keys to happiness. If a person, the more we fight, the reality and we don't accept reality and we don't accept and even more than that we accept the reality that god runs the world and that he knows what's best we will be much happier people feel much more productive people and relationships also we have to you know there's very little we could change about someone else really nothing we change about someone else 
And as soon as we accept other people, they also become, they act, they act, that's actually when they change. If you want someone to change, that the best thing to do is actually to accept them as they are, then they feel comfortable and they rise to the occasion. Let's have a beautiful Shabbos. Thanks for coming on. And...